In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 18, a passage uh, that is about the Apostle Paul as prisoner uh, being involved in a, in a sea storm and then a shipwreck and how uh, he was even in the midst of that and maybe especially in the midst of that able to be an effective witness. The sermon series that we're in right now is uh, entitled Contagious, Sharing Jesus Going Viral, in what ways we can be contagious with our faith in a way that makes sense and in a way that God can bless as other lives are touched, bearing witness and sharing Jesus with others. Before I read the scripture, I want us to bow for prayer. Would you bow for just a moment, be in God's presence for a time of silence, to just meditate and reflect and maybe form your own prayer, your own confession, your own intercession, or just simply soak in the presence of God before I lead us in our prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we think about life's storms, about illnesses and loss that we have experienced within our congregational life. We think about storms of confusion and and desperation and heartache and financial hardship that many are struggling with. We think about shipwrecks, tragedies, those who are lost and have lost their way in life without the ability to to find a, a true north. We pray, God, today for those who've been ravaged by hurricanes and wildfires and earthquakes. We pray today for those who are hungering and thirsting for justice in a world that, that struggles to value each life. We pray today for our team as they head to Houston that you will bless them with safety, strength, and rest, that they might be a blessing and receive blessings, and that you might truly use them to be a part of healing that would happen there, not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally as well. And today, God, may we above all count our blessings and may we truly have a hunger for a deeper walk with you that would help us have a deeper hunger to share you. This is our prayer in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now from Acts 27, I'm going to begin reading in verse 18, and you'll forgive me for beginning in the middle of this narrative, but it's a rather long passage of Scripture And I've never seen you fall asleep standing up. And uh, I don't want it to happen this morning. It's all good. It's all rich. I encourage you to read it when you have time this afternoon. We're going to start in the middle of the story in verse 18. I invite you to stand as God's word comes among us. Acts 27, 18. Luke is narrating the story of the storm. We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard... And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, and not have set sail for Crete, and thereby avoided this damage and loss." I urge you now to, be, to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God 
to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said to me, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And and indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were drifting across the Sea of Adria, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took soundings and found twenty fathoms. And a little farther on they took soundings again and found fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape from the ship, and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and let it adrift, set it adrift. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will help you survive, for none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. And then verses 42 through 44. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land and the rest to follow, some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I think that God's people, followers of Jesus, you and me, live our lives in too much of a bubble. We live sanitized Christian lives in a bubble. Most of our friends are followers of Christ. Most of our contacts are followers of Christ. Most of our conversations are with people who share our life's understanding and values. And we don't have enough contact with people who are away from God, who don't know Christ. The Apostle Paul didn't have that problem. He hung out with all sorts. And on board the ship, he was hanging out with sailors, kind of salty and hard-bitten, and with Roman soldiers, sort of cynical and jaded. Paul, who had been born Saul of Tarsus, miraculously converted on the road to Damascus when he finally realized that he couldn't save himself and have his own righteousness, that Jesus Christ had done for him what he could not do for himself, that we're not saved by our works but by receiving God's gift of life through Jesus. This Paul who was transformed into Saul never ever forgot what it was like to be far away from God. And I think that's what made him so effective in sharing Christ is that he never lived life in the bubble. 
The great reformer John Calvin once said that God has a lot to teach us through the eyes of non-believers. God has a lot to teach us through the eyes of non-believers. John Calvin said that hundreds of years ago, and it's still true today that as followers of Jesus, we have to have the humility to realize that God can teach us some things through the eyes of people who don't know God yet. We can learn how to be more effective in sharing Christ by being sensitive to their world. And we're never going to understand their world if we're living in a bubble. And certainly, Paul was outside that bubble because here he was on that incredibly dangerous journey showing us how to be a witness outside our comfort zone, outside our bubbles. I want to show you a picture of Caesarea on the sea on the Mediterranean. I had the rich privilege of being there in Caesarea last February. This was our first stop on our wonderful tour of Israel. Caesarea by the sea, not Caesarea Philippi up in the north where Jesus evoked that uh, great confession of faith from Simon Peter. This is Caesarea by the sea, a great port city built by Herod the Great. Uh, It was a busy port city. This is where Paul was in prison. He was imprisoned by by the Roman ruler. He was basically framed by people who were jealous of his ministry and feared that his focus on Jesus Christ would upset the political uh, equilibrium between Jerusalem and Rome. And so they put charges against him. Uh, He was imprisoned and he had appealed to Caesar. And so from Caesarea, he was going to be traveling by ship. Uh, And I want to show you on a map now uh, that enormous sea journey If you could start over here at the right where the first arrow is down there at Caesarea and then that that land mass above it that looks like a dragon's head, that's Asia Minor or what is today modern-day Turkey. They sailed on the south edge of Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey all the way to Crete, all the way past Greece and eventually to Italy. But by land, that's 1,400 miles. We believe that this was in the fall and winter of 60 A.D. And they arrived, the journey was so long, probably in the early part of 61 A.D. And it was treacherous, and along the way that they had that horrible shipwreck, they ran into a storm, a nor'easter, came down upon them with rage, uh, unbelievable, And Luke, the one narrating this story, says that for almost two weeks they didn't see the sun and they didn't see the stars. Now, here's a newsflash. They didn't have computers back then. They didn't have radios back then. The only way they could navigate was by the heavenly bodies. So if they couldn't see the sun by day, if they couldn't see the stars by night, they had no way of reckoning. The storm was raging, they were lost, and eventually the ship broke up on the rocks. What an amazing, incredible journey. And Paul's the prisoner, one prisoner being transported by Roman soldiers, trying to talk to the sailors about a way of safety. 
So as this storm is raging, let's, let's try this on for size. As the storm is raging, Paul announces one morning, I want you to know everybody's going to be okay. An angel talked to me last night, the angel of the God whom I love and worship and serve. Can you imagine the sailors looking at each other? What? You want us to cheer up? Everything's going to be okay? Right, Paul, sure. But he gave his testimony. But you know, Paul was not just heavenly minded. He wasn't just about the next world because he also recognized that their safety was at stake and that they hadn't eaten, so he encouraged them to eat because he knew that the needs of this life were just as much a part of God's concern as the needs of eternal life. And I submit to you that the one thing that kept them from laughing him off of the ship when he's trying to tell them to be encouraged, the one thing that kept them from laughing him over the side was that they knew deep down that he really cared about them. He cared about this world as well as the next. And they, they believed him. Even though they didn't understand it, the witness was effective because they knew he cared. Several years ago, there was a movie that came out entitled Walk the Line. It was a movie, a biopic about the country western singer Johnny Cash. And uh, there's one scene where the young Johnny Cash is trying to make it into the big time. And he's in a studio recording a song. And he's singing a gospel song. And he's singing it without any energy. He's singing it in a lackluster way, like his mind is somewhere else. And all of a sudden, the producer in the studio stops the recording and comes in in a rage and screams at Cash, Sing something you believe. You don't, you don't believe what you're singing, and we can tell it. Sing something you believe. And you know what, followers of Jesus? The world's telling us that too. Sing something you believe. We can tell when you don't mean it. We can tell when you're just mouthing words. So sing something you mean. And though those sailors, hard-bitten, cynical men who'd known life on the sea didn't understand when this crazy man started talking about angels and the God whom he served, they somehow sensed that he believed what he was saying. See, I've thought a lot about this because of peer pressure, especially with young people, teens and preteens, but also with us adults, how we don't like being laughed at and we say sometimes the reason we don't share our faith more is that we're afraid somebody will laugh at us. Well, you know what? It seems like Paul did not care if people laughed at him. And that's precisely why they did not laugh at him. Because they knew it was a deep conviction of his. And he really didn't care what they thought of him. He just honestly shared. And because he was not hung up on them liking him, they actually respected him. And you know... We're kind of strange, aren't we? We, uh, we're, we want to be dignified and respect, right? We're, we're First Baptist Church. We like to be 
<clears throat> dignified. We don't ever want to do anything foolish. Like, we never paint our faces during football games like this, do we? Or like this one? You know, adults can dress up. And by the way, I thought about doing some Mardi Gras pictures, but I decided I couldn't show those on Sunday morning, probably. You know, we don't mind making fools of ourselves for some things, but we're so afraid that people will laugh at us if we talk about what's really, really important in our lives. Strange, isn't it? Strange. Then Paul did something else that we read a moment ago. When he encouraged them to eat after two weeks of just barely getting by, Scripture says before he ate, in the presence of all of them, he gave thanks for the food. He probably prayed the traditional Jewish blessing of the food. And the scripture is very specific. After he said this, he took the bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of all, broke it and ate. Almost sounds like a Lord's Supper service, doesn't it? The same phrasing. Luke, who wrote this, who wrote also the Gospel of Luke, is wanting us to think about how the how sometimes our quiet witness actually makes space for the presence of Jesus Christ. Just the right word and just the right courageous act at just the moment actually creates space for the living Christ to come as if it a common meal were a communion meal. And we know that the witness was effective because the scripture says that the sailors and the Roman soldiers were encouraged. They didn't just eat. They found courage in the midst of their struggle. Well, if you have time to read the entire 27th chapter, you'll notice a transition that happens. When the chapter starts out in Caesarea, Paul is the prisoner And the Roman centurion is in charge of when they start and when they stop. But as the storm rages, it's interesting how the centurion defers to the Apostle Paul as Paul says, we should do this, we should do that. We should not do this, we should not do that. And in the the course of the storm, Paul the captive becomes Paul the captain. He's actually calling the shots because of his moral influence, because of his non-anxious presence as he was living the strength that Christ was giving him. And it's almost as if you can hear between the lines, as Luke tells us, it's almost as if you can hear Paul saying to the sailors as well as to the Roman soldiers, this way of life that you're living How does it work in a storm? How's that working out for you? And then to say about himself, you know, this faith I have actually works in a storm. How about you? I had the privilege of visiting uh, a year or so ago with a a team uh, working in Kairos prison ministry, working with very, very... Uh, uh, 
prisoners with long sentences, offenders who were serving uh, for very, very serious crimes. And Kairos Prison Ministry has this great Bible study focus empowering the offenders to come to Christ and then be the disciples of other, of other offenders. And they told about this one man who walked up to one of the uh, prison ministry workers one day and just angry and he said, why should I come to your Bible study? I'm an atheist. I don't even believe in God. And very calmly, the prison ministry worker said to this offender, have you had one positive experience since you've been in this prison? And the offender said, no. Would you like to have one positive experience? The offender said, yes. He came to the Bible study, and over the course of time, he gave his life to Christ, and he began to touch others for Christ. Because someone asked him the question, How's this way of life you've been living working for you in the storm? Would you like to find something and someone that works better in the storm? And it made a difference. Now, when I get to reading these exciting stories in the Bible, especially narratives like Acts, my imagination sort of takes over. So I want you to imagine with me a scene two years after this shipwreck story, say about 63 A.D. Two sailors are sitting in a pub on the island of Crete. And as they're sipping, one says to the other, you know, these Jesus followers really bug me. They're just so superstitious. They're so emotional. And they, uh, they just seem to all be phonies. They really irritate me. What do you think? And the second one takes a sip of his beer and then says thoughtfully, you know, I'm not so sure. A couple of years ago, I was on board a ship and we were in this incredible storm and I thought I was going to die. And there is this strange dude on board who told me some things I just can't get out of my mind. Let me tell you about it. 